I'm Emma. And I am Jenny. And this is Have You Heard Of. It's the podcast where two best friends, us, finally hold each other accountable for all those pop culture recommendations that we keep giving each other. This week it's my turn. I'm Emma, by the way. And (laughs) we're talking about Ladyhawk. Yes, we are. But before we do that, I want to take the spotlight for a spotlight swap very quickly. And there's, I was talking to Emma before, I have so many things I want to share, but I'll narrow it down. And there's a tickle in my throat. Okay. Um, it's fine. We're fine. <coughs> what, the first thing I want to share is picture frames. <laughs> <laughs> or just frames in general. Okay. Earlier she was talking, she was like, I just love the concept of things. And I was like, mine are always, oh, I've watched four television shows in the past five days. Here, let me talk about them at length. And you're like... Sound of birds, pretty cool. So continue because this is better <laughs> yeah. than anything I could have anticipated. Um, so picture frames. So I, if you hear my audio sounds a little different from the past, it's because I have moved, and so I'm in a different room. When I say moved, I've moved about twelve feet down the hall in the same house. But I've moved and moving is hellish, no matter what. I'm so proud that you did this in like two days. That's incredible. Thank you, and it's very thrilling. I have the bigger room. It's very spacious, very nice. But my audio may sound a little different. Um, so I took this opportunity to kind of redecorate and like, I'm filming from a desk today and that I, I assembled myself and I also got a lot of frames for my walls. And so I have always been a big fan of artwork and unfortunately I don't always have the budget for the artwork, but, um, I, when I, th- I believe I was with you when I got these, um, the postcards when we went to Disney, and um, there was these two, these artworks that I loved. There was one, it's a bunch of dancers and their outfits are Disney park rides, and there's another when it is the cast of Up, but he's like standing, and behind him is a bunch of picture frames, and I always wanted a wall like that, so I kind of started to do that, and I went and got frames for everything, and Emma got me a poster from when she got to see the McElroys live that I got, put, like, framed. And there's just something about a frame that just makes everything come together and look more classy and nice and more refined and sophisticated, even though it's, like, photos of Disney stuff. <laughs> or, like, it's just makes things look nice and I like it. <laughs> Postcards are the best. Like, whenever I go to a museum, I always want to buy a print of a painting I really liked. And then the Mm. prints are all, you know, reasonably beautifully printed on nice paper, often do come frame, but are expensive. And I'm like, I will buy this postcard for a dollar. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And then also, like, I love picture frames so much. My goal in life is to reach a level of financial stability where I can get some some prints that I have professionally framed Mm -hmm. because I have had like two things professionally framed in my life and they look so good when you have someone who can like who knows about like mat size and how to like chain to proportions in the frame so it looks best for where you're hanging on the wall Mm -hmm. and like match the frame to the print to the mat and you're just like this looks so good right (sighs) like I have above my desk right now I have um Marvel Comics the Marvel Comics first editions and there's five, no, six of them. And my mom got it. Did they ever do this where you were living when, like, at, like, Save on Foods, they had, like, a picture and it was, like, a raffle? And it was, like, like Ducks Unlimited, option. but in this case, your case, not Ducks. <laughs> and um, my mom won, well, she didn't win, she bought one of them 
and I got it for Christmas, so I have that hanging, and I know what you mean by, like, it's professionally framed, like, the cardstock, like, the little plaque, like, everything is evenly spaced, and, like, looks way better than the ones I got frames from the dollar store, um, the thrift store, and <laughs> places like that, but it's still, it gives a little nice touch to it, so, like, if you want an artwork and you just kind of, like, put it, like, like, posters on the, on your wall, like, it doesn't really look the best, but when you put it in a frame, like, instantly, it's like, ooh, this is nice. Do you have a Winners? Do you have a Winners in BC? We do. You should go to Winners. Winners has really good frames. I went to a Winners for the first, okay, I, like, used to live really close to a Winners, and I would go in, like, no joke, like, every other day, because I was addicted to going to Winners, and I was spending way too much money, and I don't buy clothes at Winners, but I shop a lot at the Winners Homewares selection, not even at HomeSense, which is, like, the Winners Homewares spinoff, but the Winners Homewares aisle. Anyways, mm-hmm. and then I, like, cut myself off because I was, like, I don't I don't need this anymore. I, like, have all the frames I need. But then uh, on the weekend, I went back into a winner's because they opened up a winner's near me back in February that I hadn't been to yet. Ooh. And it was, like, woo! Um, anyways, and they had beautiful frames. And winner's has really good frames, and I love winner's. It is my best friend, aside from you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was, like, ooh. <laughs> me and winner's have to have a chat. <laughs> um... And, um, yeah, so frames are great. Um, and what one should I pick? Okay, my last one um, is the TV show Recess. And I love Recess so much. Um, you can find all of the seasons. I think there's only three seasons, but each se- season has, like, 18 at least episodes. And each episode has, like, two stories in it. And they're only, like, 20 minutes long. So convenient. Like, if you want to quickly eat something, you can play that. The storylines are quick, fun. Um, A story, B story, interesting. Yes, right? The character development. Um, And it's, if you've never seen Recess, it's, like, it is advertised. It's a bunch of kids at Recess. And I love the whole society based around Recess. Like, they have, like, the king, and they have, like, the diggers, the and they kindergartners. have, like, the, the kindergartners, the they kindergartners. have Guru Kid, and it's, who's the kid it reminds that sells me, the stuff? pardon? Who's the kid that sells Oh, stuff? I don't remember his name. Him. And there's also the one that has, like, the black and white hair, who's, like, the conspiracy theorist guy, who's always yes. like, that's what they want you to think. They're like, oh, tell us what happened. <laughs> oh, it's just so much also fun. Also, recess school's out. Hmm? Also, Recess School's Out, because Recess School's Out is an incredible theatrically released film that I do watch at least once a year, even though I've only seen a handful of Recess episodes. Hey, DJ, come back. Your mom's going to want to take your temperature. Yeah, we were talking before of, like, I've seen a lot of the TV show, but you've seen more of the movies than I have. Like, I've definitely seen them, but I don't remember everything that happens at all. There's only two movies, because there's, like, the, the, and there was only the one theatrically released movie, because they had, ah. like, the holiday special that was, like, released straight to DVD and VHS. Mm. <laughs> um, but Recess School's Out, I love so much, and everyone in my family could probably recite it from memory, because we all watch ah. it a lot. Like, we're all very, very pro the Recess movie. Yeah. But I... now this makes me want to actually want to watch Recess. It's, I love the dynamic of their friendships. And they they all bring something different to the table. I love Mikey. Mikey is the sweetest person ever. And I also love Spinelli because she reminds me of me as a kid. I was very spunky. Would have been and so I could just, cool. Would have I could so just cool. lunge forward and guys would run away from me because I was the fastest. Uh, 
But yeah, if you've never seen Recess, please, please go and see it. And just watch it. Watch a couple episodes. Yeah, it's a kids' TV show. Who cares? It's great. Do it. I eat very quickly. It doesn't mean I don't want to watch something for those, like, four minutes that I'm shoveling food into my mouth. <laughs> well, that's the problem. Sometimes I'm like, I want to watch something. And then, like, if it's a YouTube video, a lot of the ones I want to watch have to have subtitles. So I can't eat and focus. And the subtitles are going to be something. So then I can't do that. And then I can't watch, like, something that's, like, 30 minutes or an hour long. Because I'm like, now this is an investment. I just want to eat something. And so within, like, 10, 12 minutes... I just want to eat something and silence my brain at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's very good. Tight. Okay. Shall we continue? (laughs) Yes. I love how you're draped. Thank you. Uh, I... My sound quality might also be different, for better or for worse, we'll find out. I was Googling sound quality tips, and people were like, record in your closet, because your clothes will act as a natural, like, noise dampener. Um, And then I I cleaned my room, like the good grown-up that I am. So there's actually, like, a little Emma-sized hole in my closet right now that I'm sitting in. Uh, And then I was very, very warm to take my sweater off, but now I'm very cold. So one of my dresses is hanging next to me, and I've wrapped it across my chest like a shawl. Um, it's very glamorous, I can assure you. Which, okay, also, like, leads me into talking about the most glamorous Michelle Pfeiffer look. I think this is one of her most beautiful movies. I think she's, like, part of it, I feel like she was hired because she is very pretty and she looks very good with a a giant scarf draped about her her soft frame. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about 1985's Lady Hawk. Jenny, had you heard of this movie? Not in the slightest. I haven't heard it... I haven't heard about it so much that when I tried to look for it, I didn't even spell it right. I put lady and then the word hawk and nothing showed up. And I was like, what in the world is happening? And I like tried to find it because I ended up renting it off of iTunes. But like even I tried, I was like, I swear it says it's on, but I can't find it. I was like, oh, <laughs> that is why. Oh, yes. Lady hawk, all one word with an E at the end. Yes. Um, the hawk that plays the titular, the titular Lady Hawk was originally, I think was named Stuart II, and then they renamed it to be Lady Hawk, so. Ah. <laughs> Hope that wasn't confusing for the hawk. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, Lady Hawk is the story of, um, a petty thief, uh, named Philippe Gaston, uh, because they're in France, and that is the only indication you will get that they're in France, and the character's they? name is Philippe. They're in France. And the character's name being Philippe Gaston is the only way you could possibly know that they are in I France. I think they're in Italy. Filmed in Italy, I think. But I think it takes place oh, in France. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. I um, remember saying Italy. I was like, I had no idea. His name is Philippe no, Gaston. No, no, you're correct. No, you are correct. It is in Italy because it's set in Aquila. But, Anyways. But it, it's, such a, it's such a Philippe Gaston. Philippe it's Gaston. almost like they couldn't decide which one to give him. So like, eh, both. <laughs> And then they don't call him that. They call him Mouse for the entire movie. So this petty thief escapes uh, from the great prison of Aquila and is on the run because he's the first person to ever escape from this terrible prison. Uh, while he's trying to evade the, like, evil police, uh, yeah. he becomes the ward and sidekick of a mysterious swordsman named Navarre who has a pet hawk that he carries with him everywhere. Uh, and as the story progresses, I'm just going to like go through the plot really quickly so that yeah. we can talk about it freely. As the story progresses, uh, Navarre is like, okay, uh, at night I'm going to go peace out, do my own thing, do not follow me. And also, uh, here's this woman who I know, take care of her, but also like, don't look at her. 
Um, and what we realize is that uh, the hawk is actually Isabeau, Navarre's great love, and uh, at night he transforms into a wolf because they have been cursed by Satan uh, yeah. through the hands of a horny bishop uh, <laughs> who was in love with Isabeau and cursed them so that they can always be together but never truly because they can only be together when one is human, one is animal, and the only way to break the curse is uh, to go before the horny bishop and make him look at both of them in their human form at the same time when night becomes day. Uh, but because they're in medieval times, no one knows when the eclipse is, so they think this is impossible yeah. until the priest who initially revealed to the horny bishop that Navarre and Isabeau were in love, and so he carries this great guilt with him, finds out when the eclipse is, tells them, and then they have to try and get back to Aquila mm-hmm. without getting caught or killed beforehand so that the bishop can look at them and the curse can be broken and they can be together yes what did you think of lady hawk <laughs> that is because i'm saying that and i'm like that doesn't sound like a real movie but it is no and it is it does essential um when you first talked to me about this film it reminded me a lot of the book werewolf night i don't have you know heard of is. it it's by jenny wagner and robert runnitzfeldt I, I'm sorry if I'm saying the last name wrong, but it's a children's book, and oh. I only knew it because in second year of university, um, in my program, we had to take a drama course. I said had. I love drama, so it's fine. Um, we took a drama <laughs> course, and our professor was just obsessed with tableaus. That's pretty much what our entire thing was, was like doing tableaus and drama games. And so he brought this book for because we also did storybook dramas, when you like take a book and you can transform it into... A story drama so that you can read a book to kids and then like get little action games and acting and all that type of stuff transformative and teaching exactly so he used that book and in the book it's pretty much that a man is a werewolf and he tells his love and then she tries to get counsel from some guy i think he's some type of like lord or something and he finds out but he's in love with her so what he does he tries to take the werewolf's clothes when he's a, a wolf awake because he can only transform if he has his clothes and so it's kind of no. it kind of reminds me a bit of that in a way of like very strong lady hawk vibes i know and yeah i so that i was like oh it's kind of reminds me a bit of that story um but no i watched it i was camping and then i got home and i was like i have a, such a busy day tomorrow I don't have time tomorrow, but, like, let's watch it now. My mom's like, sure. And so I bought it on off of... You watched it with your mom? I did. <laughs> what did your mom think? Um, she couldn't see the entire thing because she was, like, she's making dinner and kind of going back and forth. Um, but I think she enjoyed it. It was funny seeing her realizing things as it went. And then, like, because she wasn't there the whole time, realizing that she was the hawk, like, way after it was revealed. I'm like, yeah, mom. <laughs> She's the hawk. She's the lady hawk. She's the lady who's a hawk. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. It was so much fun. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Yeah, it was... Um, I forget how much I love, like, period films, like, medieval-type yes. things. Um, and as much as a lot of critics don't like it, or it's not historically accurate, I love, like, a weird mashup of, like eras coming together yes okay so this is part of a super specific genre that i like to call the pseudo historical romance where things are kind of historical but kind of not and also there's kind of a romance but it's weird so i would say like a knight's tale yes lady hawk ever after these are all this is this is 
something I care about deeply and care for deeply. And so, yes. Right? And, like, I was reading a couple of reviews and a lot of people were, like, criticizing the music in it as it, like, doesn't fit. I'm like, dude, that was one of my favorite parts. I love, like, the intro. I was like, this is so much fun. This is so 80s. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. It is the most 80s-tastic score. Uh, It is by a man named Andrew Powell. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a record store in Toronto that is very well known called Sonic Boom. And I would say easily 95% of my record collection comes from the dollar bin at Sonic Boom. I have like three albums I've ever bought at full price. Yeah. Um, uh, but I have Lady Hawk that I got for a dollar on vinyl. And I did actually blast it nonstop this weekend while I was cleaning. It was like this and the Witness score, which is another great 80s <laughs> synth like electric guitar score. And I was just like, yeah. woo! Save I Michelle like, Pfeiffer. Raise that it, barn. Clean that floor. <laughs> it made it, like... It was a film that, like, could have... Like, it did have some serious moments, but it wasn't taking itself too seriously at the same time, which I enjoyed. Um, and it's just, like, a silly romance, but everyone's taking it super seriously. This is my favorite thing. Like, this is, like... Yeah. It's a movie where it, it doesn't have to be serious, but everyone is committed to doing the work. Yeah, and it's so, like, I always loved how I, like, wrote down that, like, Philippe just, like, stumbled upon this great, like, tragic love story, and he's just there along for the ride, and he's kind of like the audience being like, what is, what, yes. okay, here I am, sure, like, he has no stake he's in the game, really. He's a great audience. Okay, also, Philippe, I feel like we should say, is played by a very young pre-Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick. He's so little, oh He's my so God. little, like, he'd done War Games, and I think, but I think this was the second film he'd ever done, like, he's so little, and he's so good, he's funny, he's charming, like, you can see why, like, what niche he would kind of later fill in oh, his career, yeah. he's really good yes. at, like, kind of casually breaking the fourth wall because he does a lot of like praying to god yeah and but it's like he's talking to the audience and then like every time something really emotional happens it'll just cut to a close-up of his face and he's crying i was like mm, i get it <laughs> i know I it's it. his like arc of like he's escaping a prison that's inescapable and i always laugh when things are like this has never happened i was like well there only needs to be one there has to be a first just means it you're setting a very yet. bad precedent for yourself yeah and He's, like, talking to God. He's like, come on, like, I swear I'll never do anything bad again. And then he, like, gets out and he steals. He's like, okay. So We both knew I was lying. Yeah. <laughs> I think what he, what was the quote? Was like, but you know what, what a, a weak-willed person I am. So here you go. <laughs> and his, like, Matthew has such a good job of playing, like, naive, confident, charming, shitheads <laughs> it's so good oh my god like he exactly like he, a lot of time that's like to his effect where like you're like ah you're like kind of a, a shithead but i yeah. do want to like you like in ferris bueller or like playing against it in like election where have you ever seen election no he plays a truly horrible person in election uh but it's like the movie's told from his point of view and so when they originally filmed it his character like doesn't get what he wants because he's a bad person and then they actually had to change the ending a little bit because the audience was like but it's matthew broderick i don't want to watch matthew broderick fail i like him and you're like he's a horrible person but it's matthew broderick so you're just like it's simba (laughs) like the characters he plays is a type of person that walks through life getting away with anything like because like he can just say something charming or like flash a smile and you're like oh he he radiates little brother energy of like you scoundrel (laughs) 
you know? rascal. Rascalian. <laughs> right? And, like, he, like, escapes the prison, and he's like, yes, this is the best thing ever. And then he starts gloating. And then the guard's are there. He's like, shit. I'm like, come on. Come on, man. I'm like, you shouldn't have talked about, oh, I just escaped from this prison. <laughs> no. <laughs> Broderick. Uh, guest yeah. on. <laughs> um, uh, do you know the song Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush? Maybe. We're gonna drop a clip in here. If and you need to know anything about the score, know that the man who produced Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush is the same man who did the Lady Hawk score. because I know for a fact I've never heard that song before but for some reason when I listen to it I feel like internally I know this song because it sounds like every 80s song from like yes. like a background of like a bar scene or something like, like... <laughs> okay anyways um just wanted to go on I shared I found that out today and I was like I gotta mention that Andrew Andrew Powell did Wuthering Heights um anyways back to Matthew Broderick <laughs> yeah he um I haven't seen him in a lot of things. Like, obviously, I've seen him in, like, Ferris Bueller and The Producers, but that's... And, like, Lion King, but that's about it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think he does such a good job. Like, I love the, like, breaking the fourth wall, but not breaking the fourth wall. Like, his inner monologue, but it's yeah. outward is really cool. I like how they used it of him, like, speaking to God. He even has that quote of, like, I speak to God all the time, sir, and Frank, like... But sorry, he has never mentioned you before. Like, it's just the humor of it. If he wasn't in that role, like, I, like, I feel like it would have been, like, a different film. For some people, it may have been better for them, but I like that kind of... No, like, you need that youthful energy and just, like, that innocence that's not innocent. Like, you look at him and you're like, you're so innocent, but also I don't trust you, but also I do. And that's the power, pow, power, power of Matthew Broderick. <laughs> My mouth just got possessed. <laughs> power. Yeah. Power. Yeah. And it's true, like, what you're saying, like, all of a sudden he, like, gets emotional and invested in this, th- this couple. And throughout the whole thing he kind of like struggles with like the truth and with lying and it's so great because the two can't speak with each other like because one's an animal and then at night the other one is and they don't remember what the during those times they just know that they need to protect that person so they ask like oh what did they say and it's so interesting like he ships them so hard. Which of Art is about, like, they are so in love. I, I don't remember if it says how long they've been cursed, but they've been apart but together for years. And, like, they are both very isolated. It's so, like, even when they are in human form, they're not talking to anyone else. They're not talking at all. And so I think, like, they're both two people who have become very accustomed to saying um, very little. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it means a lot to me that Philippe looks at them and is like, I can't believe that I believe what's happening to me right now, but I can see that, like, you two, like, love each other so deeply, because, like, why else would you, like, still be tormenting yourself like this and staying together instead of just, like, leaving? And so, like, you said, like, he's he's lying, and so he's, like, telling Isabeau. Also, just so that her name is Isabeau. 
Isabeau. Isabeau. Uh, he's telling Isabeau all these like romantic things that Navarra said about her when he's really said no so, no such things. He's just no. been like, don't look at her. <laughs> but then you um, see their face when he says it, and they're like, so And happy. it's not really a lie. Like, Philippe becomes like their mouthpiece where he's like, I'm someone who never stops talking, and you're two people who never talk. So yeah. let me say what you're trying, what you don't know how to. There's one thing he says when he says, like, he is telling um, Isabeau what Navarre has said, and he's, and in the quote it says, one day we will know such happiness as two people dream of but never do. And it, I was like, oh, yes, that, oh, and like, if, for people who have listened to past episodes, I usually like any romantic I'm like, I don't see it. I don't get it. Emma, I saw it and I got it. So I was this like, This is yes. so validating. I was so nervous. I was like, this entirely rides on being deeply invested in a romantic couple you never see together except for one scene at the very end of the movie. Yes. But like, it's so good. And it's just like, Rooker Hauer is the, per- like, they're like, Rooker Hauer is the perfect casting choice for Navarre. Michelle Pfeiffer is so charismatic and beautiful and smart and clever. And it's just like, you care about them. And so you care about their love. Yeah. And it's cool to see them as like, they're together, but you see them as individuals at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you yes. see Isabeau like hunting for rabbits or like, being busy doing other things like she is surviving at night and that's what she is doing as a woman alone in medieval italy right (sighs) and they're never in cities they're always in like really sketchy inns in the middle of nowhere yeah uh like the first scene of her when she like turns with the cloak i'm like oh my god she's so pretty oh no oh like her cheekbones and she's got like she's got this great like feathered pixie cut happening where it looks like yeah. she's a hawk that's been accidentally transformed into a woman. She's just like looks like ruffled but so refined at the same time. And they have that one scene where I just also love like Matthew Broderick or Philippe seeing her and it's just being like that's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She's so out of my league. But he like he's like I am still gonna shoot my shot. He instantly is just like so dedicated to her and he's just like yeah. well, I'm gonna teach you how to dance. We're gonna have a good time. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna, like, and then he finds out that she's in love with Navarre, and he's like, awesome, I'm gonna do anything for Navarre. Like, he just, she is so, someone who just, like, radiates kindness and beauty and devotion. I think, like, doesn't he say when he saw her, she looks like love? Like, she looks like the epitome of what love is. Oh. That's really good. That's really good. And, And, like, unfortunately, in classic, like, movie fashion, like, the love interest age have a big gap, like, actors wise. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. Is you how what, what's the age gap? There, I think it's about fourteen years difference. Yeah, that tracks. Cause she's also really young in this. I think she was like twenty seven, and he was like forty four or something. Rooker Howard's forty four in this movie. I think so. Oh my god. Yeah. That's wild. I could be wrong, but I remember googling and be like, like, this age. No, difference. like that tracks because like. I mean, I'm trying, like, he, he's famous for playing villains, so I'm like, he was the villain in Blade Runner, and then he appears in Batman Begins in 2005, where he would be, like, in his 60s. Yeah, that all tracks, sorry, yeah. that's just hard for me to contemplate. <laughs> yeah. And what was also, this is, I haven't seen a lot of films with Michelle Pfeiffer in it either, and mm-hmm. I think I've only seen, like, Stardust and Hairspray. I say she had a really good year in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and besides that, like, I haven't really seen her in a lot of things. So it was really cool to see her in this role. And you can just see, like, when they're finally re- reunited, you can just see the love in their eyes. And I'm like, and they just say each other's names. Oh, gosh. Okay, before we talk about the end, um, one thing that I really, like, is also really dramatic that is a really good scene is, like, the movie is pretty basic. Like, I said the whole plot at the beginning. It's just, like, them, like, Philippe meets them, finds out their story, they go find the priest, he yeah. tells them about eclipses, they go back. And, like, that's the whole thing. Um, but you have, like, one really dramatic scene where the priest, like, or not the priest, the bishop, whose name I don't even know, but, like, he's, like, he's a Frollo equivalent. Yes. I was like, this is so hunchback <laughs> of Notre Dame. This is very, like, hellfire. Like, this is very much Right, that. like, he's obsessed with her. He's ashamed of how obsessed with her he is. So, like, no one can have her, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I think that's also part of why I love this movie, because, like, uh, 13 Years of Catholic School means I am, like, extremely into, like, the torture and romance inherent in Catholicism and just like it's terrible I know I know but I love it also as a child because I did watch this movie when I was very little um like didn't realize that it was like the bishop using the powers of hell to curse them which is very scary he's going straight to hell when he dies and that's very scary um Okay, anyways, he sends, like, a hunter after them because he doesn't want them to be able to break the curse. And then they're, like, on the ice, and um, Navarre is in wolf form and falls through the ice, and Isabeau's in human form, and she's trying to get to him. And then, like, it's so scary. I'm so afraid, also, of just, like, falling through the ice in general because you get so cold yeah. so fast, and it's so easy to yeah. get trapped because, like, if you fall through the ice, like, a lot of times, like, the piece of ice that's broken will, like, snap back into place, and you're just trapped under there. It's terrifying. It's terrifying! And, and it's such a... Sh- <laughs> I, I'm so afraid. <laughs> and then Matthew Broderick is trying to save him, and, like, and the wolf's freaking out because it's a wolf, and it's, like, yeah. scratching him. And then also, like, you're talking about, like, how his character, like, has a really nebulous relationship with the truth. Like, the next morning, um, Navarre in human form is really mad because his, his sword has been lost mm-hmm. uh and he's like like what's the matter with you and then sees like that philippe is scratched like very badly and the this priest is like he saved your life you would be dead without him right yeah. now it's just like but philippe's not the one to tell him that like philippe who never stops talking is like i'm not gonna play that card yeah. i'm gonna just let you be angry because you have so many good reasons to be angry mm-hmm. uh and also like there's some scenes of the foley work in some of the, like, battle scenes are sometimes comical because, like, things have changed in the, since this has come out. But there's, like, a, oh, ooh, like, shing, huh? And then also, like, the transformations, like, make me laugh. I can't. It's like an Animorphs cover. <laughs> it's so bad. It's, like, when... Um, there's the one scene when they, like, can almost touch but they can't, and I know it's supposed to be romantic, but, like, it made me feel, like, kind of uncomfortable. It just lasted, like, too it's, like, long. Re- it's really, like, weirdly sensual, and you're like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to look at this, but I can't look away. <laughs> it's very, like, someone figured out the cross-dissolve feature on PowerPoint, and they're like, we'll do that in a movie. <laughs> a bunch but, like, of times. Yeah. I know, but it's, like, right as the sun is rising, yeah. so she's in human form, and he's, like, naked in human form, and they're, like, trying to get to each other, and then she turns yeah. into a bird! 
weird. Also, apparently for Michelle Pfeiffer's audition tape, she did a self-tape uh, with her pre-fame friend Kevin Costner reading the parts of her behind the camera, apparently, <laughs> which is just funny. But they, like, cast her because they're like, oh, she's funny because she also just would, like, she recorded a bird and did voiceover. Oh, of my her God. Lines. That's great. Oh, my God. It was just like, I'm like, oh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Also, apparently, when they were, like, speaking, discussing with Rooker Hauer about the role, and then, like, because originally it was supposed to be Kurt Russell, and I think they'd even started filming, and then he had to leave. Mm. Um, So they they brought Rooker Hauer on kind of last minute, and were like, okay, like, here's your setup, like, we don't have the Hawks yet, but, like, here's the glove you'll wear when the Hawk lands, and they were, like, teaching him, and he's like, okay, and just put the glove on, and then a random Hawk, like, an untrained Hawk just landed on his arm, and they were like, okay, I guess we got the right guy, and he was just like... Hey, hey, Hawk, buddy. <laughs> I, like, there were some moments in the film that I was very worried for the animal co-stars. Like, in, like, the Breaking the Ice, I was like, that wolf, like, it was a dog. It wasn't an actual wolf. I was like, I'm concerned for its safety. I'm sure it's fine and everything is, regulations were fine. But I was like, it looks scared and I was nervous for it. I mean, like, I know, like, they can't act. They're dogs. But I was like, I hope they're Okay. <laughs> I don't know about the dog. I did actually look up the hawk. There were two hawks that played oh. Lady Hawk. Uh, one was named Gift, and one, as I mentioned, was originally called Spike 2 until he got renamed Lady Hawk. Um, or, or she got renamed. Gentering the birds. Sorry, birds. Um, anyways, they were or two hawks, and uh, one of the hawks just passed away a couple years ago. Oh. I passed away in 2014. It was born in 1979. And then the other one, uh, I don't know when it was born, but it passed away in May 2007. So the Hawks had good long lives. Yes, that's I good. I They do say something about, like, wolves and hawks mate for life. Like, those two species, not together, but, like, those two species <laughs> are their mates for life. And I was like, it's not true. So I did some research. Um, oh, nature corner with Jenny. <laughs> and so wolves do. Um, and then hawks, it depends on the type of hawk. And also, it depends on the circumstances, which is kind of funny. She is a red-tailed hawk. Yes. So red-tailed hawks do, which I do enjoy their specific, uh, or being making sure it was that specific type of hawk, because that type of hawk does. Oh. And it does say, depending on the circumstances, like, if they both go to the same breeding grounds every year and they're both there then they'll stay with the same one. But sometimes if they're not there at the same time, they have to find someone else. But that specific breed does. So I was like, nice! They did. Nice! They did the nice. thing. Um, the hawks are also romantic. <laughs> I, um, where the the monk priest lives, I love how he his like, it was like Home Alone style traps of like, go that way! And then they fall through but to the left. I'm like, I got him. <laughs> yeah, him the priest, I like the priest character. I feel bad because I can't remember what his name is beyond the, the oh, Imperious. Imperious, yes. Um, He looked so familiar and I couldn't, I looked at his IMDb and couldn't figure out why he looked familiar, but I think he kind of reminds me of like some of the dwarves from the Hobbit movie. Like he had that like aesthetic going. So I was like, Oh yeah, he's just like, he's got like the reddy cheeks and the, yeah. big, like, the, the bulbous nose. Yeah. Um, Briefly, actually, uh, the wolves was played by actual wolves. It wasn't a dog. It was played oh. by four wolves named Akila, Kolchek, Levi, and Sasha. Uh, a quartet of melanistic black Siberian wolves. Ooh! I don't know anything else about them, but 
cool. Okay, but yeah, like I, I just this movie. I don't know. I just I, I like the. Oh, I'm so sorry for saying this. I like the Catholicism out of it all. I like that the priest <laughs> feels like very guilty. So it's also like mm. him being able to atone, and it's just like everyone has their own relationship with God. So Philippe like prays, but has like a very casual relationship, and then the yeah. like Imperius is like very distant now. Um, and Navarre and Isabel are both very angry, and then you have the bishop. Like, it's just, it's very compelling. It's very, it's also very d d <laughs> It is! This would be a great D&D campaign. Are you kidding right? me? Can you imagine, like, meeting that NPC, and then the DM just being like, he has a pet hog. <laughs> Ooh! No, Emma, I straight up figured out what class, like, all the characters would be. Like, <gasps> Imperius is definitely, like, a cleric, and he's also, like, a monk, but he's more, like, clericy. And then, um, Isabeau would definitely be, like, a ranger, and, uh, with, like, a class in druid, so she could, like, change into a hawk, but, like, she would be a ranger because she would have an animal companion, which would be the wolf. And then, <laughs> I've thought a lot about this, um, and then Navi- Navarre would be... A fighter, obviously, like he has, like he's part of the guard, all that stuff. And then Philippe would be a rogue with one class in bard because he gives inspirational things for like bardic inspiration. But his he's mainly a rogue for like pickpocketing and like doing locks. I was like, damn, I have so many ideas for NPCs now. For like, okay. Oh my god, there's this podcast, I think I've told you about before, called Film Reworld, and they play through classic movies as RPGs, and now I just want to do, but like, I would have so much trouble with it, because like, their whole thing is that like, you you don't try to follow the plot, you just like, try to play the character, Mm -hmm. Um, and also you have to roll the dice, and I would like, love to play Lady Hawk as an RPG, but I would have so much trouble not being like, they have to end up together, I know how it ends, (laughs) but it would be such a good campaign. Right? Oh, it was, it also gave me flashbacks of when I was younger, I had one friend who had the best birthday parties ever, and they were always themed amazingly, like we had a murder mystery one night, one night, one year, um, there was like an Egyptian theme back, like, that's cultural appropriation, we live and learn, we know, and now she also did a, like, a medieval themed. And it was so great because we, like, ate with our hands. We had, like, chicken and um, we did jousting, which was just, like, pool noodles. And we did, like, the ring thing when you have to, like, try to get it into the ring. And we had a bunch of competitions. It reminds me also of Medieval Nights. Have you ever gone to Medieval Nights? This year? Okay. Like, since last fall, uh, a friend of mine who has a birthday a week after mine... Yeah. Uh, we were planning on going to Medieval Times together because it's literally a 10 minute walk from my apartment and we what? didn't get to go and I'm very sad about it because <sighs> I feel like, okay, so also terribly, Medieval Times is open right now. We could have gone, but I feel, I, I feel like going to Medieval Times and eating a turkey leg with my bare hands during a global pandemic is just <laughs> like not who I'm trying yeah. to be. <laughs> I feel like it would just fair. bum me out and make me really stressed. Yeah. So no, I haven't been to Medieval Times. It's but one day amazing. I'm going to go to Medieval Times and it's going to be great. I've so been twice. Leg. Um, my grandparents used to like winter or whatever down in Florida. And so we would go down there, go to Disney World and see them. And then they lived closer to the Medieval Nights. And it's always 
so much fun. And like every time Navarre's horse was like doing the little trot, I was like, oh my god, they did that in medieval times too. And like the final battle, I was like, oh my god, it's all the twists and the turns and all these things. It was very exciting and and, and fun. <laughs> it's just like this movie is a delight. I love the score we're gonna put in so you can hear. very special movie one thing i think uh i have no no facts to verify this okay but i feel like part of what makes it so romantic and successfully romantic so it's directed by a man named richard donner he also did the original superman movie he also did Mm. the goonies um and has continued to direct many other things but i feel like those these are like kind of his big ones uh and uh it was written by a woman named lauren schuler uh who is also a producer but also a writer um and this movie came out in 1985, uh, filmed in 84, and they got married in 85 and are still married to this day. Uh, so I feel good. like Love was born on this set. I was like, they, I was like, she was also married to someone else until 1984. <laughs> Shit. So, so you're like, maybe, Aww. maybe. But I, I have no facts. I have no details. I did like do a cursory Google search and I was like, mm, I don't need to know all this. But yeah. Love was born on the Lady Hawk set, and that love remains to this day, like, 45 years later. Oh my god, wait. No, I can't do math. 35 years later. (laughs) Like, Philippe is just so... He's such a romantic, he's trying to get these people together, and, like, he sees how much they care for each other, but they don't know the words, and then he's there for them, and then they're finally together, and it was kind of funny that it was an eclipse, because I just finished watching Avatar Last Airbender, and an eclipse is like a part of like that show and i was like it has showed up again and also like how rare that is to happen like that is like like, not gonna happen again um it's so stressful too oh my god because navarre is so disillusioned and he's like it's not gonna happen like i should just die and then they like have to convince him to get him into the city and like sneak in and see the bishop and he like throws a sword it's very dramatic I, like, I watched, so I watched it with my mom, and then I watched it again before we recorded, because there were, like, some plot points that I actually got, like, a little confused. I was like, why did that happen? Who did that happen? And I think it was because when I first watched it, I watched it all, like, on my mom's Apple TV, and so that's a different than when you're wearing headphones. <laughs> and so I lost some of the plot the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, when I first watched it, I thought the, like, monk priest was the one who cursed them for the bishop Mm. but no it was because they did their vows and then um with that priest and then he drunkenly told the bishop i was like okay that makes more sense and then but i'm still a little confused why navarre wanted imperius to kill lady hawk i was very confused um so Okay, yeah, so we're at, this, like, they're in the city, and, um, the curse can only be broken if the bishop see, looks at, uh, Isabeau and Navarre at the same time, both as human. 
And Navarre doesn't believe that this is possible. And so Imperius is trying to convince him that the eclipse is coming. It's actually possible. It's going to be possible very soon. Uh, and Navarre has decided, no, I'm just going to kill the bishop because he has made our lives horrible. He has made our lives a living hell. I'm just going to kill him with my father's sword. Isn't that his... That was also, like, his quest, right? Like, when he's like, what's yeah, your quest? He's like, like, I have to kill a man. I was like, oh, okay. You have to kill oh, a man. Oh, okay. It's, again, very D&D. <laughs> um... Anyways, so he's like, I have, I'm going to go in. So he's like, I'm going to go in and kill the bishop. Um, and then he makes this decision for Isabeau slash Lady Hawk. But he's yeah. like, if I don't succeed, like if you hear the bells, it means that the service is completed and I have failed in killing the bishop and I am dead. So if you hear the bells, it means I'm dead. You need to kill Isabeau so she doesn't have to live without me. And I'm like, don't make that decision for her, bro. Yeah, Okay. That, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like it's 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 the medieval stakes of it all. They have like uh, an epic love and anyways, yeah. but then of course but then like the bell goes, but of course then Imperius doesn't kill her, and then she shows up as a human because yeah. the eclipse is happening and it's very dramatic and then she like has molted all of her feathers and drops them at the bishop's feet and is like, Look at me. And it's very yeah, good. The scene where she like holds up like the straps that she wears like the goggles and like drops it in front, I was like, Yes. There <laughs> and then they're like fully ready to just be like we're so happy and in love we are actually just gonna leave you to suffer in life and then he tries to kill him and navar's like okay never mind stab <laughs> stab uh and he yeah he has this like grand sword that like has jewels from like all of his different like ancestors She's like and this one would be mine i was like do you plan not having any kids or you're gonna have to add more hilts to this so that you're, you're you're gonna, it's gonna be a really long sword. It's gonna be like the Stanley Cup, where like every 13 years they actually yeah. have to cut part of it off. Um, I really enjoyed this film. Like, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Because, like, I usually struggle with like older films, just like with the quality that it is. But it can either do two things. Either one, I think it has, it's like low quality, just because the quality of film now, like, just technology wise, is so different. Mm-hmm. Or I enjoy it a lot because it re- gives me nostalgia. Or even though I haven't seen it, it, like, gives comfort in a way. So luckily it went that way. <laughs> so that's good. It's just, it's so, I know, like, it's really good. And again, like, I think it's just very special. It's, like, it's, it's not a shame to be of its time. Like, I, yeah. I, I feel like a lot of times, like, you want to be, I'm saying the word time too much, you want to be timeless. And mm. certainly there are styles that, like, always look good, music that always sounds beautiful, but... It can make things, like, lose their edges and become less distinct, whereas I think if this movie had had just a generic orchestral score, or had had, even though I love Kurt Russell, had had, like, Kurt Russell, the leading man, it would have been less special. And so, like, you have Rucker Hauer, who is this, like, rougher European type, which fits in the world of... He's Dutch! He ain't Dutch, he ain't much. Yes, Um, hell Yeah! I'm Dutch. Uh, I am not <laughs> Dutch. I just respect Jenny. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, like, I think, like, letting this movie be of its time and letting the actors be who they yeah. are is just part of what makes this movie special and memorable 35 years later. Yeah, I think he does such a good job. Like, just even the way he speaks, I'm like, man, like, you're so regal and just so perfect in this role. He really is, and a lot of, like, he does have such a regal delivery, and so I think a lot of times in his career, he passed away a couple years ago, um, but a lot of times he's known for very very famously playing, like, villains or very morally gray characters, Mm. Um, 
And so it's nice seeing him in this where you get to see, like, he's still this very rough edge, but, like, imperial character, but with so much love and goodness in him. I'm like, oh, Rooker Hauer, yeah. I actually love you. It took me years to realize kind of that he was, like, his character type was the bad guy because this was the first thing I saw him in, so I was always really shocked when he played a bad guy. I was like, Rooker mm. Hauer, no! <laughs> and then everyone else around me would be like, what did you expect? Not yeah. this! <laughs> well, I, I thought, like, like yeah, he played, like, when he was angry or, like, when he was focused. You could see the seriousness in his face, but I thought, like, the more quieter moments were, like, his better acting, in my opinion. Like, when he asked, like, oh, she spoke, and then he, like, puts his, um, like, the cloak around to sleep, and you can see, like, a, like, a faint little smile, like, when he's fighting in a church, and he realizes it's an eclipse, and you just see the panic and joy, but also, like, oh, God, like, I need to stop this thing from happening. Like, you saw the whole journey go through his face so quickly. Like, yes. There's this tweet I have mentioned before and will mention again that I saw like four years ago where it's like the only thing a movie has to do to get me to really care about it is have a man who knows how to look at his love interest properly. And he, like, uh. and it's just like every time, and I'm like, that's not even how it was written, but it's like if he knows how to look at her right. And it's just like, it is. Like in every interaction he has with anyone in the movie, like with Isabeau, but like with Gaston or with... Uh, why can't I remember the priest's name? Ignatius? Imperius? Imperius. Imperius. Erda. It's like, he like, just is, has such an intense eyes, and it's just like, yeah. you see his whole life, and his whole thought process. He wears all of his expressions so cleanly, plainly on his face. Yeah, like, every character that you meet, you can, you can tell that it, that character is a person. Okay, let me describe this in a better way. Um, you can tell that they have a whole life before this film, right? Yes. Like, sometimes you watch a thing and you're like, this is as if this one person has this one goal and they just kind of sit there and that's where they are. But you can see with all the main characters that there is some history, not just with the land that they're going by, but, like, the emotions that they've gone by, the, the tragedies that they've experienced, and, like, things they say, you can tell they have different inflections on different words, and you can see the pain of the past or the joy of the past. And I think... Like, the acting is just, it's fun and, like, serious at moments, but it's also, like, lightheartening and fun to watch. <laughs> it's just, it's fun to watch. It's, like, a mm -hmm. good adventure. It's fun to watch. It's a wildly original story. I miss movies like this. Like, I wish movies like this still happened. Because mm. it's just, like, it's also fun because it's, like, a good, like, mid-level budget. Like, yeah. I feel like nowadays you have, like, indie movies and blockbusters, and you don't yeah. really have movies that exist in this middle budget range anymore. And I'm like, no, like, give people money to just, like, tell their story. I also like, like, we talked about this type of film, like, the pseudo-historical films, like, yes. Princess Bride, or, like... Also I, part of this genre. Like, Stardust, I, they're all part of it. We're like, it's kind of historical. Uh, I love Stardust so much! Oh my god! With a very modern voice. Oh my god, I love Stardust so oh. much. Like, uh, I wish actors could, like, I don't even know what category it would be. I wish actors could get nominated for just, like, if you're in multiple movies a year and they're not, like, leading parts, but you get, like, you're the best actor this year because you were in three movies and they were all really good. Because, like, I would have given a Michelle Pfeiffer an Oscar for just existing in 2007 because she did Hairspray and Stardust and what a double bill. So good. And such diverse characters. Oh my god. Like, oh, she's so good. She's so it was so weird, because I've only seen her as, like, 
that at that age. So seeing her young, I was like, oh my god! Like I almost like, oh my god! <laughs> I don't think uh, you should watch Scarface. You should look her up in Scarface. Yeah, she's very she's very talented, Michelle Pfeiffer. You are a very talented woman. She's very beautiful in Scarface. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, like in this role, like like what I was saying when she was like going after the rabbits or. When he's like, yeah, this happened. She's like, oh, really? You can tell she doesn't believe him. And then he goes, and then she lets him go. And then she's like, oh, God, he's going to kill me because he let him go. And you can, like, her acting is, like, she's not she's not a damsel in distress, which a lot of times, like, these types of films would put a female role in. Like, mm-hmm. she, like, yeah, they're in distress because they're in, like, a curse. But, like, she is But they are in equal amounts of distress. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, he asks, like, are you flesh or are you spirit? And she's like, I am sorrow. I'm like, oh! <laughs> it's just so good! <laughs> so good! Yeah. This is a good film. I recommend it. Oh, I do. I do recommend it. This is... I'm so happy that this is... This is where our interests clicked. <laughs> had to be anything it should have been lady hawk <laughs> yeah with the yeah it's good i think like for the star chart chase i'd probably give it like a 4.5 out of 5 <gasps> Ooh. like almost a 5 because like i feel like i will watch this movie again but it it hasn't made as big of an impact on me as something like eurovision did <laughs> like as something i'm like i need to watch it over and over again and let other people like i still like, really enjoy this film, and it surprised me. Um, and I think it's because, like, I kind of lost the plot a little bit the first time I watched it, and um, some things I was like, how's oh, that working out? I was a little confused, so that's why I didn't get, like, a full marks, but it's definitely something I would, like, put on, on, like, like I, that would be great to own it on, like, VHS, because that's the best way to watch old films. Right? Fun. Like, it is just, it's that quality. You're like, I need to watch this and have it be slightly blurry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I need to see lines moving across the screen. (laughs) He was the last one in the world to act like a hero. It just happened. By itself. And he was drawn into a magical, romantic adventure. Yeah, so that's Lady Hawk. Yeah. I'm so happy you enjoyed it. I I prepared a fun game for us, so I've actually been very excited for it. Because at first I was like, I feel like... We were like, okay, we'll do an activity then of each episode. And we've done, like, activities, but I also love a good quiz, and we haven't done a quiz in a while. And then I was like, okay, like, what kind of quiz can I do for Lady Hawk? And then, okay, I'm kind of... <laughs> my mouth is getting... <laughs> my brain is getting ahead of my mouth. My mouth was just moving, and no words were coming out. Um, so it's funny, actually, because you were like, oh, I love Matthew Broderick in this role. Like, he's so perfect. It would if Like, you could have had someone else, but it wouldn't have been the same. He was originally not cast in this role. Yeah. It was originally Dustin Hoffman, which is wild because wild. Dustin Hoffman was in his forties at that point. Can you imagine a forty-year-old man playing Mouse? It's not the no. same vibe. No. It's not the same vibe. Nope. So I have a little quiz um, of uh, eight actors who were offered famous roles and turn them down and I was trying to do my research like a lot of times you'll like look something up like I as I talk about all the time I love production history and seeing else who like auditioned for roles yeah but you'll find like a lot of times when it is like a really big part in a movie or like a, a movie that has the potential to be really big they're bringing in like anyone who might fit so a lot of times you'll see someone like Edward Cullen is kind of an example I had 
I've ever Colin of like they interviewed like something like over 5,000 actors up by Edward Cullen so of course you're gonna be like oh so did you know so-and-so was considered for Edward Cullen like everybody was okay <laughs> so I was trying to find examples of people who were like specifically offered parts and had oh, to turn okay. them down for one reason or another uh but also uh fun fact Dustin Milligan of Schitt's Creek fame auditioned for the role of Edward Cullen so just imagine Ted wow. as Edward Cullen wow. have that in your mind if you will I'm um, excited for a quiz because the last few times we've been doing this it's usually like we text each other in advance and we have to like think of something and this is kind of nice to be like i don't think of anything i just have to do a quiz which i'll probably fail at but i'm gonna have fun okay yeah so i'm gonna like tell you uh what the role is if you want to give a guess then you can and then i also have like some 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 emma jenny sized hints where i was like okay and some of these are also, I feel like, quite famous. People who are wrestling are like, I already knew that. And I'm like, okay, I don't care if you already knew that. I don't think Jenny does, so I'm no. going to tell her. <laughs> okay. Um, so for our first one, I was like, well, it's Matthew Broderick. Uh, a little Matthew Broderick fun fact. I'm not going to make you guess this. I just thought it was interesting. He turned down the role of Walter White in Breaking Bad. It was awful. Oh. And I think he would have been quite good because he is, again, like playing on the, like, you want to root for him, but not yeah. when, he's, when he's doing bad things, but you still inherently want to root for him. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Interesting. Um, and then uh, right after Lady Hawk, he did Ferris Bueller breakout role, making yes. a hugely famous, hugely successful film that I have yes. never seen. Um, so yeah, uh, just you'll you'll see it very soon. Very soon. <laughs> um, so someone else uh, who ended up being quite famous was offered the role of Ferris Bueller. Uh, Ferris Bueller, I believe, came out in 86, so do you want to harbor any guesses, or do you want me to give you a hint? Um, the first thing that came to mind was Tom Cruise. I don't know why. I feel like that's a good, like, again, like, it's a, like, you just, like, picture actors who are all at the same time. It is not Tom Cruise. Uh, I am gonna give you a hint. Okay. Uh, I'm like, I have a bunch of hints, and I'm like, okay, what, what should I, he was originally a television actor, and then the, later broke it, in, broke it into movies later in his career. Was he still in TV during this time? Uh, was either still in TV or had just, like, left his, like, main show. I don't remember. Um, I have no idea. Another hit. Okay. He's been nominated for three Best Actor Oscars, but he's never won. And the last time he was nominated was 2007. It's been a while since this actor's had a hit, Was he, like, honest. a teen heartthrob? Yes. Was it Brad Pitt? No. Was it Leonardo DiCaprio? No. Um, okay, I also, have you seen the movie Almost Famous? No. Okay, so I didn't include Almost Famous in this quiz, so this means nothing to you, but this was wild for me to learn. Brad Pitt was originally cast as Russell in Almost Famous. The part was written for him. They had started filming with him, and then it was recast with Billy Crudup, which was the right decision. Um, we should do Almost Famous one time. I love Almost Famous. Yeah. So, originally a television actor. He's been nominated for three Best Actor Oscars. Um, he is famous for working with one particular director who directed one of his Oscar nominations. That's a weird clue. He's famous for working with one particular director. Johnny like, Depp? Like, throughout his entire career. Johnny Depp! <laughs> Johnny Depp was offered the role of Ferris Bueller and turned it down. Whoa. I guess, like, I could see Johnny Depp wearing the clothes that Ferris Bueller wears, but I cannot see Johnny Depp playing Ferris Bueller. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no. So it's like, I think this was like either like during or just post his 21 Jump Street days. Interesting. Um, okay, so this one, uh, 
is so famously uh, Viggo Mortensen wasn't the original choice for Aragorn in Lord of the Rings they had actually started filming with an actor named Stuart Townsend yeah um who didn't work out but even before Stuart Townsend a different actor had been offered the role of Aragorn oh shit I knew this I've watched so many Lord of the Rings behind the scenes shit but (laughs) what is it (laughs) but I've watched like hours of it um it was someone that like wouldn't work at all um isn't um, it like okay. he's a, he's like a really famous person, right? He is. He's a very famous person. My first hint is not a hint; it's just a fact I learned about him while trying to find a hint, and I was really haunted by it. He started smoking when he was ten years old, and at one point was smoking sixty cigarettes a day. Disgusting. Um, I think he stopped smoking now, but maybe not. Anyway, so that's not a hint. That was just a weird fact that I learned about this man. I was like, oh, gross. Is it like Mel Gibson or something? He is an Australian actor, but he is not Mel Gibson. Oh, wait. Hugh Jackman? He's famously starred in a movie with Hugh Jackman that I love. Okay, that's a very specific <laughs> thing. Uh, he has won an Oscar. Okay. And been nominated for two others. He um, has famously played Robin Hood. Maybe not famously. He's played Robin Hood. Oh, Oh! Oh! What's his he's name? Also, What's he's his also name? played Jor El in Man of Steel. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> She's standing, folks. She's standing. Um, 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 oh, god damn it. Um, give it. Uh, <laughs> I will know it. I'm trying to give you hints. Is it? Is it? What are you doing? Where have you gone? (laughs) To some controversy, he played Javert in Les Mis with Hugh Jackman. Oh, Russell, Russell, Russell Crowe? Yeah, there we go. Oh my god. I am so ashamed. I freaking knew that. And I was like, I saw his face like, what is his face? Yeah, he would not play a good Aragorn. Aragorn, whatever. No. Yeah, so he was offered the role and then was like, Peter Jackson, you clearly have been told to offer me this role because I'm quite famous and you don't want to give it to me. So I'm not going to take it. (laughs) He's like, I'm not the right choice. Um, Okay, so our next one is the movie Titanic. Uh, Titanic's definitely one of those movies where they were seeing, like, any any hot young actor, up-and-coming yeah. actor, for Rose and Jack. This is not for Rose and Jack, but this is for the role of the unsinkable Molly Brown, as played by Kathy Bates in the mm-hmm. movie. Uh, a different person was offered the role, and she actually had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts unrelated to filmmaking. I have no idea. Uh, she has been in some movies, uh, but I would say her best acting work is that she had a sh- her own TV show that was named after her. Oh, wait, was this for Ellen? No. Oh. I'm pretty sure she was offered... Pretty sure that she was offered something like that, and she turned it down. No, that was uh, Speed. <laughs> she was that was actually to- one of my questions later, where I was going to be like, who was originally offered the role of Phoebe Buffay? So congratulations, Ellen DeGeneres was offered the role of Phoebe Buffay. She was I'm also offered the role of Sandra Bullock in Speed. Yes! Oh. 
What a world. <laughs> what a world we could have been living in. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I'm happy we don't live in that timeline. Yeah. Okay, no. So, the unsinkable Molly Brown in Titanic uh, okay. is only best known for having her own sitcom that was named after her. Roseanne? Her... No. Um, Reba? Sh- Reba! Okay, Reba. can I read you my next hint? Yeah. Uh, my next hint was... On July 25th, 2010, she famously tweeted, To catch you up to speed. <laughs> to catch you up. Get through it. You got it. To catch you up to speed. It's <laughs> so close. On July 25th, 2010, okay. Reba McIntyre famously tweeted, To catch you up to speed. Had a good breakfast. And then the torture started. <laughs> Save from my iPad. <laughs> the favorite part about this whole thing is that you tried to kept restarting and trying to, and then you went farther back like it was gonna help. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. <laughs> to catch you up to speed, had a good breakfast, and then or had. And then the torture started. Sent from my iPad. <laughs> Reba McIntyre. And I was like, this can't be a real tweet. It is. It's still on her Twitter. She's never deleted it. It's oh. still there. Oh, wow. Reba's going through something. <laughs> <laughs> Reba's been through a lot, and also she's a Republican, so I'm really conflicted in what she's feeling right now. Gump came out and lost to Tom Hanks playing Forrest Gump. See, if I followed Oscars more, that probably would have been a big hit for me. But this means nothing. <laughs> um, it depends on like how aware you are of movies that came out that year. I have no idea. I know. Yeah. Um, this actor uh, is best known, I would say, aside from his Oscar-nominated role in the '90s, uh, is best known for movies that involve. Music and dancing. Hugh Jackman? No. He's also... John Travolta? Yes, my next clue is he's also a famous Oscar presenter. John Travolta turned down the role of Forrest Gump. Oh. It's so, like, it's very little when someone tells me it could have been this person. I'm like, oh yeah, they would have done a better job. Because you can't see the whole production together, usually. I know. I think Forrest Gump, like hasn't aged super well but it's still people still watch it because public opinion of tom hanks is still so high Mm. whereas like public opinion of john travolta isn't so i don't think he would have been just like the right fit for forrest gump in terms of longevity i also didn't watch first forrest gump like the entire film until i was looking grade 12 same people kept coming up to me and being like i love you jenny get it i'm like no 
I don't, don't know. Get it. it also stops saying that. It's weird. Like, I love you, Daddy. I'm like, you don't. You're just quoting a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> this is irrelevant. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you've never seen. Okay. Um, uh, my next question was going to be about who was offered the Royal Phoebe Buffet, which mm-hmm. you already guessed. So instead, we're going to go back to Edward Cullen for an anecdote because I rewatched Twilight recently. And I was on Stephanie Meyer's website because in the year of our Lord 2008, I did read every single piece of information she had on her website because I was Mm -hmm. deep in my Twilight phase. And I remembered, like, oh, she had, like, had a whole fan cast while she was writing Twilight about who she wanted to play. Um, And then none of those actors, like, eventually made it into the movie. But her, this is, like, so wild to me, her number one pick for Edward was Henry Cavill, which is wild, because Henry Cavill, like, hadn't done anything at that point. He played no. the son in Count of Monte Cristo, but, like, hadn't even done the tutors yet. And she was, like, really, really horny for Henry Cavill. <laughs> um, and then he did get cast, because, like, they were specifically looking for actors under 21 to play Edward, and I think mm. he was already 24 at that point. Um, and they did apparently offer him the role of Carlisle, which he turned down, which is also just very funny and wild to think about. Um, wow. Okay, so that's my that's my anecdote you get instead of having to guess Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> um, okay, so for my next one, in the movie Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts' breakout role, again, tons of actresses auditioned mm-hmm. or like, were considered for the part. This actress was offered the role um, before it came became Pretty Woman. The script was originally called $3,000 and was much, like, harder edge, less rom-com, more drama about, like, the life of being a sex worker. Uh, and so she was offered this part and turned it down. Mail Street. No, she is. <laughs> she is. Um, like Julia Roberts as a famous redhead, this actress is also a famous redhead. Amy Adams? No. Is it that um, one that looks like Amy Adams, but isn't? That could be so many people, and also, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, um, it is not Bryce Dallas Howard. Or Isla Fisher, who I feel like, or Jessica Chastain. Isla Fisher is what I'm thinking. She is probably actually best known in terms of movies for work she did in the 80s. Uh, And to a younger generation, she's probably actually best known for her television work, playing various television mothers. Is she the the mom from Riverdale? Yes. Do you remember what her name is? No. It's Molly Ringwald. Okay. <laughs> you got there. You got I there. I got there. Okay, and then my last two are two very famous coulda, shoulda, woulda ones. Okay. Um, so maybe you know them already. Um, this actor was offered the role of, and accepted the role of Black Widow in Iron Man 2 before having to leave to do reshoots on another film. Oh, I didn't know this. Can I get a hint? I think about this a lot. Um, She famously ate a cube of cheese (laughs) in a film. (laughs) That actually might not be a good hint for you. I don't know if you saw that movie. Uh, She is also, I think, she's not a natural redhead, but in her breakout role for, like, the beginning of her career was also a redhead. No. Um, I didn't write down hints for her inexplicably because I kind of just assumed you would know this one already. But, okay, <laughs> nope. so what else could I say for hint? Uh, famously ate a cube of cheese. Is also known for her musical work. Emily Blunt? Yes. Oh. 
uh, Emily Blunt accepted the role of Black Widow in, like, 2008 or whatever, and then Hudson was, like, gonna start filming on Iron Man 2, and then had to, was contractually obligated to finish, do reshoots on another movie and had to drop Damn. out. So Johansson was, like, a super last-minute casting choice. Okay, and for my last one, this is another one that I think is really well-known, um... Before we get into that, actually, we have Sean Connery, I think is another good example of this, is like famously turned down the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, because mm. he's like, I don't get it. Uh, famously turned down the role of Morpheus in The Matrix, because he was like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and then was offered the part of Alan Quartermain in The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and was like, I don't understand it, but my past two rejections were a career mistake, so I'll take it. And then League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was famously a huge flop that only I and my sister, and I think three other people on this earth enjoy, and all of them are Shane West fans. Um, but this actor was famously offered and turned down the role of Neo in The Matrix. Will Smith. Yay! I finally listened to the Max Front episode, so that's why I know this. Oh! Of course. Oh my god, wonderful. Yes. I was, that now would be perfect because my clue was like, also known as Mr. July. Oh, yeah. Which I don't think uh, would have been bad, but I think, I mean, worked out, I think it shook out pretty well for everyone. I think it plays to I'm a lot of I'm glad you like, had that one because when you said you were going to do this quiz, I was like, hopefully that's in it because I'll know it one. And because you ended it with it, I'm like, yes! <laughs> Woo! Got it. That's my quiz. I love quizzes, and that's just like imagine, imagine an alternate world where Ellen was in Speed, and also Friends, and Johnny Depp played Ferris Bueller, and it's a weird time. Eric Stoltz, you know. Well, thanks for the quiz and introducing me to Lady Hawkem. You're welcome. Um, Yes, that's our episode this week. Yeah, Uh, you can. Follow us on Twitter or Tumblr at HiHo Podcast. That's H Y H O Podcast. You can also email us at HiHo Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and also, as always, it would be great help to uh, like, review, rate, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or whatever the podcast catcher of choice is for you. Uh, we really appreciate it. And yeah. keep listening. And um, our new playlist has just came out on Spotify. Um, I've been and... watching a lot of Nora Ephron movies, and uh, this playlist has nothing to do with Nora Ephron, so much as, like, I listen to this playlist and pretend that I am Kathleen Kelly, so it, it is it ah. is loosely inspired by that. Um, yeah, I think this is also, like, this is only our second one, but I think at least the music I put in there is the most wildly different music ever that I have put on a playlist. I know, because I was like, our first playlist we did was, like, fun. Like, there was, we had both put on some upbeat, some slow. Yeah. Whereas this one, I've been listening to a lot of, like, really melancholy fall music. I've been going for lots of long walks, along the water. Um, anyway, so I was, like, trying to find, like, a good mix to do. Then I was like, it's actually, like, my favorite kind of playlist. And that it starts really upbeat. And you're like, yeah. And then you're like, okay, I've been dancing for a while. I'm quite tired. I would like to lie down now. Yeah. And then it gets to my pick. So this one's on. It's, like, it's easier to figure out, I think, who picked who. Although, we did actually put a couple things by the same artist which I thought was interesting. We both had songs with oh. the Oh Hellos on there. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's true. Yeah, mine was very much like some pop, some rap, some instrumentals. I was just going through it this month, guys. I just you were... <laughs> everything on it. Maybe next time we can try to, like, pick, like, a TV show or something that we both really enjoy and, like, make a playlist for them. 
I know. I that's see that this one was like none of my picks are all either also inspired by Nora Ephron as much as just like Nora. I was like this playlist makes me think of fall of like mm. you have like a couple hot days and you're like I gotta enjoy these. Yeah. Uh, even though like this time last month I was begging for summer to end and now I'm like please let us have one more hot day please. <laughs> it's like that's me this playlist. And so anyways, I think next week we should do like a fun spooky Halloween playlist maybe. Ooh. Oh yeah, because that's gonna come out in October. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Also, should we say what we're going to do for October, or should we keep it a secret? Um, let's keep it for our next episode. Okay. Ooh. Enticing. Okay. Anywho, so yeah, so thanks everyone for watching. Watching? You can't watch me. Listening. <laughs> you can't see me. I can't be perceived. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening, and remember to like what you like. Your opinion is valid. As long as it's the same as mine. Have a good week, everybody. Bye.